Is this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there, is, there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that uh, there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized by the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may be able to say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the, whole, the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, and we've been in this new series called Fight the Drift through the letter of 1 Corinthians, um, you have noticed over the last several weeks as we have covered as Paul is writing this church in the city of Corinth that he planted probably two to three years from the time that he writes this letter. He loves this church. He planted it. He sowed the gospel there, and God saw fit that as he preached the gospel that he would choose to save people in this very, very pagan place. So Paul, as we have addressed over and over and over again, that the church belongs to God, not to a single individual or a group of people, but the church belongs to God, that is centered in the person and work of Jesus, that it is important to understand and to preach and to exemplify the gospel within that faith family, that Jesus takes the church extremely serious, and to love Jesus is to love the local and the global church, because the church consist of one people group, really, those whom Jesus has saved, we become one, we are the body of Christ, that we are universal, that's where we get the small c word Catholic, as we talked about that one day, that we both meet um, in order to edify each other, but likewise, we meet in order to be equipped to go forth from this place encouraged so that we might share the gospel. And so for weeks now, we've been talking about how much that Paul has been pointing this group of people in Corinth back to the person and work of Jesus and the importance of the local church that is there. While Paul has been going on and preaching and planting other churches in other pagan cities of the time, um, he has gotten word back that his beloved people, the, the church that is in Corinth, have drifted. They've gone astray from the standard that is Christ, from the standard that is the gospel, and they have drifted far from that, and there are many problems that are going on, and yet... Paul still loves them, has hope in Christ that they will come back to him. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about all the goodness that is Christ and Christ's love for this church. Um, and yet today we'll begin a very long season in the life of this letter of Paul addressing a major issue within that local church and then how the gospel triumphs over that. All right, that's going to be the rhythm. That's the rhythm. There's a problem. The gospel triumphs over that problem. We're going to do that over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because that is the rhythm of you and I's life as well. There's a problem, and we need to be reminded that Jesus is triumphant 
over it. All right? So when we come to this text and context, notice here, um, and I would encourage you if you have your own Bible or if you're using our Bible journal that we gave you guys, is that, that mine, I don't know if you can see it from there, but that you would take notes, that you would circle words, underline words, use this as a, a compass and a roadmap um, to, to pointing you toward the person and work of Jesus, and also as Pastor Justin um, declared or said earlier that um, you can bring these to our missional communities and share with us what the Lord is teaching you through this. But inside of this passage, notice there, the very first, or the second word is there, the word appeal. That Paul is appealing to the people. What does it mean to appeal to somebody? Notice that Paul doesn't say, I, and he has every right to, like demand, command. He's not a, a dictatorial or what we call in leadership theory, authoritative. Attative in his though his command here or his, his statement here he he has the authority it's been given to him inside of Christ but notice the language here it's it is the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance and Paul is coming at them not as a bug-eyed red-faced dad who's getting on their kid because they've told them not to do something a hundred times and that child continues to make that decision. But Paul is coming to them in a place, a very serious place, a a very pointed, what is going on here is scandalous. And yet Paul is appealing to them. He is essentially, he is begging them. He is pleading with them to do something. Verse 10 is actually the thesis statement for the entire letter. All right? So let's read that together again. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. All right? That's the thesis. Circle, underline, highlight, whatever it is that you do to mark that, because that's what Paul is going to be addressing over and over and over again in this appeal, in this begging of these people to fight the drift and to come back to Christ. Notice again that he uses the term brothers. Now, I grew up in a small rural church in Franklin, Kentucky. It was a charismatic Pentecostal holiness church. My granddad, uh, my grandfather was the pastor of it at one time. My uncle was the pastor of it at one time. My uncle is, another uncle is the pastor of that church right now. Now, when I was a kid, it didn't matter if you were knee-high to a grasshopper. That's a good southern slang for you. Or if you were really old, then you were brother and sister, right? So everybody that came in is brother Nick, sister Casey, Right? Um, I even heard someone this week say that, yeah, when they, they started going and became a Christian, they started going to a church similar to I did, but they went into their iPhone, and everybody that went to their church, they put brother before that name. Now, I don't think that we have to call each other Brother Galen and, and Sister Leanne, but notice again, Paul is about to address for over and over and over again serious problems, but what does he call them? Family. He calls them family. All right? He doesn't say you pagan Satan worshipers. Right? This is a Christian church. And he addresses them as such. By what authority, though? I, in the name of Paul, declare this about you. I appeal to you. No. He reminds them once again. This is the 10th verse. In those first 
10 verses, how many times is the name of Jesus mentioned? Well, now 10 times. Why? Because the focus is on the person and work of Jesus. The authority of the church, of the Christian, is Jesus, not a singular man or a singular woman, but the person and work of Christ himself. We see this, again, the pleading. We see the family connection. We see that the authority is Christ. We see that this is the thesis of the letter. Why? Because Paul is appealing to them that there would be no divisions. No divisions within this church. Now, inside of the Greek language, where we translate that word to be divisions, is um, actually the word that we get in English called schism. Right? And I love the Greek language, and the reason why is, is because that when you look at the Greek language, is that it has word pictures unlike the beautiful language of English. And let's all fix it. We speak Kentuckian. We don't even speak the Queen's English. All right? But inside of the Greek language, there's often always some sort of word picture that is connected inside of Greek words. And, and our word schism, which these translators translate to divisions, um, is actually the word inside the Greek of you taking a garment or, or a piece of paper and imagine ripping that up into tiny little pieces. But there is a tearing, a ripping apart, that there is a divorce, that there is a division that is taking place, and Paul is appealing to them as his church family in the name of Jesus that they not be ripped apart. But what has he already declared? That there are rips, that there are tears, that there are serious issues that are taking place within this very church. He is describing a church that is torn into pieces. And what tears a church into pieces? Well, um, I would contend to you, lay before you, that it's often personal preferences, that it's pride, that it's immorality, and it's really bad theology. That oftentimes, those are the things that happen. Now, by show of hands, and I promise any of you who raise your hand right now, you won't get slain in the spirit or anything like that. All right. Anybody ever been a part of a church split before? Raise your hand. Or a mass exodus of a church. Now I want you to think back to that. What was the underlying premise that was taking place? Was it personal preference? Was it pride? Was it, you know, immoral activity? Was it really bad theology? We see these things taking place inside of this church. This church in Corinth, it's only three years old, and it's, it's torn up into all of these little pieces. And I, I saw some commentator say this week, he was like, imagine taking a piece of paper and tearing it all up into little bitty pieces, right? It's much easier to tear something up than it is to try to put all of those little pieces back together again, isn't it? It's really tough. When a marriage is torn apart, it's easy to tear apart a marriage, friends. That's an easy thing to do. It's a miracle for a torn apart marriage to be reconciled back together. And so Paul is saying, man, there are divisions here, but I'm appealing to you that this would stop. 
We want people to be, as the word says here, be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This doesn't mean that there cannot be diversity within the church family, but but in the core of things, in what we call here at Mission Year, we believe that there are open-handed issues and there are closed-handed issues. These are things that we as Christians should die over. You put the gun to your head about these things. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is born a virgin. Jesus is God, so on and so forth. These are solid biblical truths that are not debatable. If you are a Christian, you must believe these things. A person comes in here, again, gun to your head, be willing to die for these things. And yet, there is a place of freedom within the Christian church and Christian life that should be open-handed, that we should be very gracious, that we should be very charitable toward uh, other believers. We call these like second-tier or third-tier um, sorts of beliefs and understanding, like your end-time view or whether or not people should drink or what translation of the Bible, all these sorts of things. That falls into an open-handed category. You should not die at the hand of an AR-15 because of these things, right? But these things over here, you should. And so Paul is saying to them that there needs to be some sort of unifying thing on the orthodox beliefs of what it means to follow Jesus and to be a Christian. That we should be engaged in believing in that. And if not, again, that's what happens. These divisions take place. That we should be of the same mind and the same judgment. That when you get around other believers who love Jesus and love his word, then, then you will find yourself in a kindred place. Like there's some sort of connection. The way that you see the world is very much um, the same or, or, or very similar uh, to other believers. And it doesn't matter if you're in South Central Kentucky or if you're in you know, Taiwan. That Jesus gives us the mind of Christ, as the book of Philippians would say. That if Christ is in you, you have the mind of Christ. And that's what he's working inside of you, is to think like Jesus thinks. Judgment, to make action as Jesus makes action. All right? That's why it gets really confusing within American Christianity when you have people who both say that they claim to follow the same Jesus, and yet their minds and their judgment are complete opposite. All right? That's, that's an issue. That's a problem. Because it's one Christ, one mind of Christ, one judgment of Christ. All right? So we see that what's taking place, though, is, again, that there's these divisions that are going on. Notice what he says here in verse 12. He gives us the first problem that needs to be resolved by the gospel. What's the first problem? The first problem is, is that there are people within the church. It's been reported by Chloe's people, and... We don't know who Chloe is, to be really honest. It's believed that she was probably a businesswoman who was either from Corinth or in Corinth or lived in Ephesus where Paul is writing this letter from. Anyway, she's got people, she's got servants, and they know what's going on inside of Corinthians in the city of Corinth and in the church of Corinth. And so they've come and they've delivered this message to Paul to say, hey, buddy, these people whom you love, this church whom you love, they have drifted. They've gone way away from Christ way away from the gospel and way away from what it means to be the local church. So this 
people come, and what are they telling us that this first division is, is happening? Well, they're telling us that there are some people within the congregation that say, man, I follow Paul, while other people are saying, I follow Apollos. Apollos was one of the first believers inside of this place. It's believed from what we know about Apollos, and we'll come back to him, is that, um, that he was a great speaker, right? He was a great preacher, and, um, and it's believed that Paul wasn't. Paul was really smart, but it's believed that Paul was not a good orator. That he was not a good, he didn't have the power and charisma uh, that necessarily that Apollos has. So some people are saying, man, I follow Paul, while other people are saying, I, I follow Apollos, while other people are saying, I follow Cephas. If you're not familiar with this, Cephas is another name for Peter. It's one of Peter's names, Cedar, Cephas. Peter is talking about the same guy who was one of the 12 disciples and the leader of uh, the disciples. Um, while others of you will say, oh, I follow Christ. So you see what's happening here. There are these sects, these, these different cliques that are beginning to form around these different leaders within the church. So they're divided over this. And Paul responds to these divisions by putting three very pointed questions. Look at what he says here. He says, after they revealed to him what the division is, or in this case, what this one division is over, Paul responds back to them by saying, is Christ divided? Because again, the local church is what? The body of Christ. These men, these servants of the local church, these men who God has chosen to use in these powerful ways, represent and are a part of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so Paul says, man, is Christ divided? I mean, there's a, little, there's a hint of like uh, a pun or a sarcasm there. He continues on by saying, was Paul crucified for you? Paul says of himself, did I die on the cross for you? All these rhetorical questions. Or, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul answered these questions as or just really pointed these rhetorical questions that are easy to answer. Of course, Christ is not divided. Of course, Paul did not die on the cross for your sins. Paul's a great man. He should be honored. He should be respected. But Paul knows even himself, I did not die as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. That is left up to Jesus. We do not baptize in the name of Paul, but rather we baptize in what authority? In the name of Jesus. Why Mission Church? Because it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So we see within this first few verses here of this first issue that's taking place is that people are dividing over certain people and certain issues. Now, what does this mean for us? I have a confession to make, and I'm not quoting a, well, I guess I am quoting, it's a Foo Fighters song. I have a confession to make. And I need to tell the church. Um... A few months ago, I made a major mistake, and I got on Facebook, and um, when I got on Facebook, I, I noticed something, because there's a reason why I'm not on Facebook, and it's because of the reason why I'm about to tell you. It leads me to both righteous anger and then to just plain old anger, all right? It leads me to sin. 
And a few months ago, I was being nosy, you know, I got to watch Laura, um, and so I get on her Facebook account. And, uh, you know, Jesus in the church is a really big deal to me, in case you haven't noticed that. Uh, I really love Jesus, I really love the church, and when people um, begin to make statements in their statuses about church, I have a tendency to be like, whoop, like turkey necking, whoop, okay? Sorry if that's a redneck term, if you're unfamiliar with that. You ever seen a turkey in a field? Right, they hear something, they see something, right? It grabs all of their attention. Some of y'all need to go outside, but totally different sermon. And I noticed someone saying something about the church. They claim to be a Christian, and they made this statement. Uh, they're not really involved in church, but man, they love Jesus. And they go on, they make the status, and of course, because I'm nosy and prone to wander, I decided to read the comments. Because typically, any time that you say something sort of negative toward the church, have you noticed people just blow that up? And they love, oh, somebody's kicked this can wide open. And it was like message after message, comment after comment after comment after comment after comment, that people were just, just oozing all of their disgruntledness against the church. Saying how that, man, my faith is fine. Me and Jesus, he's my homeboy, right? We're super cool. He's, he's buddy Jesus. Like, we're super cool. And I learned through COVID and all that time of being away from the church that I don't need the church. The church just needs money. The church just wants your money. We're fine without the church. And I quote, Whenever I think about the church, I quickly realize that the church, really all that it wants is my money. That the church is all about power. My faith is fine. I know Jesus, get this, I know Jesus would not associate with today's church as he didn't in his own time. The church wants money and power. My faith is fine. I know Jesus would not associate with today's church as he didn't in his own time. As I read these comments, and specifically that comment that really st stood out to me, I, I was filled toward empathy because obviously a lot of these people have been what we call church hurt, right? And we need to be empathetic toward those of us who have had church hurt, like real church hurt. We need to have compassion toward these friends, myself included, are amongst that number. And yet, simultaneously, there was something unveiled in a statement that Jesus would have nothing to do with the American church, because these were all white Americans that were in this, is that saying something like Jesus would have nothing to do with the American church 
as he had nothing to do with the church during his time, opens up and exposes, friends, so many problems. See, all, all of these people, because this is very common, I, I, I want you to understand this, is like, this is the state of American Christianity. It doesn't take long to find out that even pre-COVID, that American Christianity was majorly on the decline. There were things that came out in the Gospel Coalition this week. Even a pastor scholar named Tim Keller even wrote this article about these sorts of things. But there is a major uh, disconnecting and unyoking from younger generations specifically in regards to the Christian church. Many people feel these ways about the church. They, they're totally fine. They, and they, they love the church. They don't need the church. They just got, again, them and Jesus, and they are okay. But friends, problems within the church isn't new. It isn't that all of a sudden the American church has become the worst version of the church ever. What are we reading from? We're reading from the Bible. And it's a letter to a church that is in complete chaos. Like, the, the leadership isn't living like Jesus. People within the church aren't living like Jesus. They're dividing. I mean, if there was the color of carpet and people could fight over it and divide over it in the church at Corinth, they would have done it. These people are majorly divided. And yet, what do we see? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace and the mercy of God, He inspires, through the inspiration of Scripture, to a pastor, a preacher, a missionary. And what is this man doing? He's writing to this broken, torn apart church as a reflection of Christ's love for these broken people. And so to say that Jesus would have nothing to do with the church during his time is a simply bad reading and bad understanding of who Jesus is, what the church is, and how much Jesus loves this nasty, broken, messy thing called church. Jesus loves the mess so much that he dies for it. Jesus loves so much, he loves this broken mess so much that he's coming back for it. Jesus is the complete opposite of this. Again, should there be care and empathy or all of those stories, there's probably some real hurt and real just terrible situations. Why? Because just like the Corinthians are broken, the American church, people within it, you and I are broken. Like, this is messy. Fighting the drift is messy. Fighting the drift alongside of someone is really messy. And Paul isn't saying that there never comes a time where we have to divide. Jesus is even going to do that one day as he separates the goats from the sheep. That means from the believers and the unbelievers. Paul is even going to teach us here in a few months on a time when you need to divide and remove yourself from even a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus who's in the church, who is a member of the local church, and there's going to come a time where they will not repent of their sin, they will not turn in faith, and, and, and Jesus is going to tell us 
us through his word. Hey, you've got to separate yourself. So it's, it's not that the Bible is never against a vision, but much of what is happening within this church, much of what is happening within our local churches, and the schisms, the terror parts, are not over real biblical issues. Again, it's over preference. It's over pride. It's over immorality. And sometimes theological. It's a very serious problem within the church at Corinth. And yet it's a very serious problem in any church. And yet Paul is reminded, called back to, calling this church back to the authority and the person and work of Jesus. Please get me. I, I can tell you lots of staggering statistics about the American church, and yet I am not without hope. What an opportunity that we have. Revival at its core begins in the house of God. It begins in the church. It's where people believe that they're saved, come to the realization they're not really saved, and then Jesus really saves them. That's my testimony. I grew up in church my entire life. I started preaching when I was 16. Not a Christian. I was in a, you guys know this. I was in a Christian band. We were terrible. I was in a Christian skit team, traveled all over the place, all over the southeast, singing, preaching, and being in dramas for Jesus. Not a Christian. I finished preaching at the age of 17 on a Sunday night, and at the end of that service, several of our people left the church I went to. That's how good I was. It was actually over some other issues. You know what that issue was? is that on our praise team that Sunday morning, which I was a part of, a female got on stage wearing a pantsuit, and people lost their minds because she wasn't wearing a skirt on stage. Do you see how silly that is? And yet people have split over churches and schisms and all those over much less than a pantsuit. We can see all of these problems. We can see all these discrepancies. But you know who's still head of the church? Jesus is. There was still help and hope for the church that is in Corinth. Again, we're, we're reading, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, number one in this series. We're finding out these problems. Like, man, it can seem hopeless. It can seem like, man, this church cannot be reformed. And yet, what do we see? We see the person and work of Jesus. That he's, there is hope. There is grace. He can reconcile. Because we're all, all torn up into little pieces. You and I are good about separating. We're good about divorcing from each other. We're good about breaking fellowship with each other. And you know what Jesus is perfect at? Putting all of those puzzle pieces back together into a beautiful picture that he calls the church, whom he loves, whom he gave his blood for, whom he will return for. Embrace Jesus and the messiness because you are messy. And I am messy. The church is messy. We get our feelings hurt. And I get my feelings hurt. You get your feelings hurt. We disappoint each other. Right? We say things sometimes not in the right tone. Or sometimes we don't say enough words. 
or sometimes we, we miss it. We just flat out miss it. And yet there's hope. There's hope. Why? Because Jesus is this. You talk about these divisions really quickly. And you're like, well, this doesn't happen anymore. Please pay attention to what's going on because this happens all the time. Favorite TV preachers, favorite YouTube preachers. This can even happen within our church. To my knowledge, it hasn't happened up until this point. I pray that the Lord would always keep us from this. But if you could imagine just for a moment, it's like, um, you know, um, I follow Pastor Justin. And some of you are like, well, I follow Pastor Todd. It doesn't matter what Pastor Justin and Pastor Todd say, I follow Pastor Eric. I've seen this in a church. I've been a part of that struggle. I've been called into offices over those very things. But Pastor Eric, he's a better preacher. He preaches the Bible and you don't preach the Bible. Well, this guy, he's a better preacher than this guy over here. I've literally, on a Sunday morning, been in church, and the main teaching pastor not be able to preach, and one of us scrubs get up to preach, and there be a mass exodus, because it wasn't him. That's a problem. We see because there's this cult personality thing going on right now, right? These celebrities. And that can be a local celebrity, or it can be a YouTube celebrity, or a nationwide. This pastor is like, man, you just really get behind them. And it's this dividing thing because we live in a very divisive place. I've seen people have conversations. Well, you know so-and-so is the one who baptized me. I'm not joking. Like, they get real swelled up, like prideful, Right? Like, they got a signed Michael Jordan jersey or something. But they're like, no, you know, I, you know, this pastor down the road, he's the one that baptized me. And? So Paul talks about that, right? He's like, all these people are like, well, so-and-so, you know, Peter baptized me. He was one of the disciples. I mean, his holy hands touched Jesus, and his holy hands then touched me. <laughs> right? It seems silly. People do this all the time. They begin to even brag about who baptized them or how many people they've baptized. Can I, can, let's, let's clear this up real quick. If they're a believer and they baptize you, it don't matter who they are. It don't matter if, if it's a preacher or a 12-year-old that baptizes his mama. If he's a believer, because the goal is, it's not really about the two people in the water. The picture of baptism is that it's all about Jesus. It's not about who's doing the dunking. So that, I mean, literally in the state of Kentucky every year in the KBC, I don't get this, we give trophies away to the churches that baptize the most. Really? Because isn't that just a miraculous gift? Shouldn't that be humbled? Shouldn't we be humbled? Because it's really about Jesus. It's about him. And Paul's saying, we've got to stop all this craziness. We've got to stop all of this divining stuff that's taking place with, within us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's, it's about him. I've literally heard people try to evangelize people that go, like, we're a, we're a Baptist church. Unapologetically, the Southern Baptist church has got problems. Right? It's messy. But we're a Southern Baptist church. And I've literally 
seen in Bowling Green, Kentucky, people who go to a Southern Baptist church, and there are 48 other Southern Baptist churches in Bowling Green, Warren County, and I've literally seen people evangelize, if you want to call it that, people who go to a Southern Baptist church to try to convince them to come to their Southern Baptist church, and they call that evangelism. Well, you know, my church is way better than your church. Sadly, some of the hardest people to work with are on the same team. We must fight against this. We're constantly being told to pick a side, aren't we? And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I don't think about this toward our preachers or pastors or any of those sorts of things. But what about within our culture, the dividing over a political party. In the last several years, several churches across the United States of America have split, literally split, over Trump and Biden. Remember when the tragic story of George Floyd came out? Churches split over George Floyd because they would say that their pastors were talking too much about racial reconciliation while other ones left because they said they weren't talking about it enough. Don't get me started on COVID. COVID has split more churches than probably anything in our lifetime. I can't believe, preacher, that you're making us wear a mask. I won't, I, I've had pastors tell me in Bowling Green, Kentucky that they've had members of their church tell them that because they've been asked to wear a mask during the height of COVID, that they would not come back. While other people have left churches because they've never asked them to wear a mask. Do you get how the enemy works? The enemy, sin, Satan, and death, wants to blow up all of our churches from the inside through divisions. And yet... Paul declares, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What is Paul saying? Fight the drift toward personal preference. Fight the drift toward dividing lines. Fight the drift toward, um, you know, celebrity personalities. And they don't even have to be pastors. I've literally seen within our city people, groups of people migrate from church to church to church and all they're doing is causing problems and there's a laundry list of people under the bus that they call righteousness and yet there are all these people, all these pastors, all these other church members who have been swept under and are just the collateral damage of literally sin, Satan, and death working in pockets and cliques of people as they move from church to church to church and they go to the weak that are the outliers, and they swoop them in to join their party. You know what another name for that is called? A cult. Why are cults so dangerous? Is because they really understand unity. They're completely convinced to the point of death in their cause. And yet you and I have something much greater and his name is Jesus. What will mend the broken pieces of a divided church? Jesus. 
and His Word. And we, as the people of Mission Church, must be committed, devoted to that end. We can have lots of open-handed discussions and freedom, but at the end of the day, we must come back to the person and work of Jesus and to His Word. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? That means, like, He's the authoritative, like, just that he is control of what's taking place and how you live your life, and that you see the Word of God as the, the governing body and the value and the importance of the local church. So we all come back, if we're going to have a disagreement, as we often say here at Mission, we're going to have a disagreement with our Bibles open and with much prayer as we seek to come back to this, to his Word to Jesus being Lord in a culture where Jesus is just another guy and the Bible is another book. See, at the cross, we all come to him, rich, poor, black, white, female, male, and we can be united in our diversity because we are united in this is who Jesus is and this is what his word declares. So Mission Church, I commend you. We do not have major problems with division. But by this afternoon, I've been in church long enough and it could happen because that's the way sin, Satan, and death works. The enemy wants to destroy what we're doing here. The enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants to destroy me. We must fight the drift toward division and fight the good fight in Christ.